Ryan, what's up, man? Hey, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. It's episode fall. four. Yes, episode four. I can't believe it. It's already been four. I know. It's seriously kind of nuts. But it's kind of nice. I kind of feel it's great. We got our stride, and I like that it's fall, so we can. I feel like we're cozying up with the audience and listeners. So if you're listening, you know, pop on for a question. Yeah. No, it's we totally by the wanna, fire. Exactly. We <laughs> totally want to hear from you guys. Um, and if there's no, you know, if there's no questions or comments, that's okay. Ryan and I are pretty good at filling up the time anyway. Yeah, and you can leave a comment afterwards on the site. You know, yeah. people continue the conversation over there. But if you have a question, you know, nicer to ask it now. Yeah, that's right. And we definitely like having the the real time yeah. piece to this. Totally. Um, so that said, today we are going to be talking about your digital life, sort of uh, how to inhabit more fully in our online interactions uh, in order to bring more authenticity, more embodiment, more wisdom, mm. more compassion mm. uh, to you know, this thing that we're doing like 24 hours a day, which is pretty much living online in the virtual mm-hmm. world. Yeah. Um, it's become like, you know, people's main form of communication over the last 10, 15 years or so. And I think we're starting to see sort of the effects of that um, culturally, definitely, psychologically, spiritually, um, in terms of relationships. I mean, it's, it's, it's having like a, you mm-hmm. know, a total effect on our lives. And so this was something that Ryan, you and I wanted to talk about because, um, you know, I think that there's probably some perspectives that we can bring to the surface that will, you know, help people a little bit, help people find that sort of that authenticity when they're, when they're hanging out online. Yeah. And just also to, to shift the experience totally, because I mean, there are larger cultural and societal perspectives to take on all of this of what it means to be online, um, both in, uh, really great results and also really challenging <laughs> uh, results from it. But then there's just the, even the personal experience. And I think a lot of people have sort of claimed uh, uh, social media bankruptcy of sorts of just saying like, uh, like everybody I think got spent in the last few years, people mm-hmm. just reached the end of their rope where I see more people taking breaks from being online or just throwing in the towel, like in terms of the interactions, that's not true for everybody, but it's just something I noticed. I noticed it for myself where I just got tired of things a little bit, Um, you know, just, and that's one of the things I would first, in terms of my own recommendations for people is it's okay to take a step back and reassess, you know, to take, Mm. uh, not necessarily to like leave being online, but like to take a step back and get a, get a sense of things. What, what am I noticing? What am I feeling? What am I experiencing? What does this look like? You know, just take a breather because social media, especially, has such a inherently addictive nature to it. I mean, they code it to be that way. Oh, it's it's a slot machine. Yeah, it's literally that. You know, scroll, scroll, and we all do it. You know, uh, scroll, click, like, get the, you know, brain uh, chemicals flowing that makes it feel good. So, um, you know, it's hard to take a step back um, and to get perspective on it. But, you know, on the flip side of that, sometimes I'm always amazed if anybody says, I, you know, I haven't been on Facebook in five years, which I don't know if I've heard that literally, but I don't necessarily, I mean, that's interesting. It's sort of like experiencing somebody who said they've been on retreat for three years of meditation. It's impressive. Um, but at the same time, it's like, that's kind of, it's a little strange too, yeah. because I, I, or at least I wouldn't say, I'm not going to give you a high five because that like, that's somehow better because so much of the world is being facilitated online. So it's like, that's not really a solution that, you know, 
per se. It, it's temporary. It's so the new, it's the new like smug thing that hipsters say. You know, it used to be like, oh, we don't watch television. Yeah, there's always going to be a smug thing. I'm sure it's probably like. Uh, what was it back in the day? I don't listen to radio or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it's not a solution. It's like, how do we actually live with this? This is part of our life. And actually, like I said, you know, we talk about cultural and societal um, results. There's a, there are huge revolutionary impacts by social media. People who have not had a voice, oppressed voices are heard, whether inside of cultures or even whole countries. You know, I mean, this is, it exposes so much that we have to confront it, which also I think is what's so overwhelming is because, goodness, I mean, if you just take the news, you know, when we were kids, um, you would hear, you hear news for 30 minutes, maybe if you caught it with your parents, you know, and, and if there, there might be like one bad story or two scary stories and like, oh, wow. And that was it. And you just went on for your life and the only bad things you heard about or like around your neighborhood, maybe, you know, right. like, oh, so-and-so got in a car accident. But today you just turn on it just nonstop because I mean, talking about billions of people on the planet that can be reported in real time. Well, of course, it's like, how do you viscerally process and hold all that? I don't think you can. You can't right. take it all in, not to mention the imbalance of, um, you know, good to bad, you know, so like we're not reporting on uh, the news and reporting on beautiful things that happen all the time. Social media kind of takes care of that. You know, you get the sweet little videos of somebody helping an animal who was suffering and you're like, oh, okay, thank you. There's something good in, in humanity. But anyways, it's just really overwhelming. Um, so I, that's why I first go to like getting some perspective yet trying to stay somewhat engaged, right. you know, like not just totally abandoning everything and then coming back, which sort of like can be like a pattern of addiction, right? You know, just like, ah, I'm not going to touch that stuff for a while. And, and then you're like, okay, I feel better now. And then, you know, you month back into it, you're like, no, relapse. <laughs> relapse. Yeah. So it's like, how can you shift the, the behavior to it? Um, yeah, well, because, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned sort of some of the positives here, because I certainly don't want us to overlook, you know, sort of the virtues hmm. of the internet and of social media. I mean, look, I've been able to carve out a career for myself yeah. with a laptop and an internet connection, yep. uh, doing this integral thing. And I, yep. you know, I think that's incredible. And, you know, Ryan, in our last episode, when we were talking about uh, inhabiting life purpose, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I went on this whole sort of little mini rant about, um, you know, how so much of my own sort of felt sense of purpose comes from helping to connect people. And that the internet is where that happens. I mean, yeah. you know, when I first got into integral there, you know, there was no integral naked yet. There was no, yeah. there, there was no online presence for the integral project. Yes. And as a result, I felt, you know, alone, I felt lonely. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I said last month, I, you know, I, I wasn't able to have a conversation about this stuff without teaching someone the complete model from the bottom up first. And that yeah. kind of got old pretty quickly. Um, yeah. In 2003, we launched Integral Naked. And that's when yep. sort of the Integral community really started to, to yes. come together. And, you know, we, we sort of moved from being this kind of integral archipelago of, you know, sort of stranded perspectives out there to something that felt much more like a yeah. genuine community, yeah. um, albeit online. And then, of course, we started doing live events and all that, which brought in sort of the, the real-time, you know, what we used to call right. meet space communities. Um, mm -hmm. And that was also very nourishing and enriching. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, so much of my own sort of, um, you know, legacy as an integralist is built on you know these zeros and ones yeah oh <laughs> that, you know 
that, that, that we use every single day. And then on the flip side of it, it's like, you know, Jesus, if we can just sort of like um, pause and as you say, sort of back up, take a step mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. and actually look at how much of our lives mm-hmm. in every dimension and every facet is being mediated mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Someone else is doing the heavy lifting to mm-hmm. interpret this sort of flood of data and and um stories and narratives and um information and all that all that is coming through perspectives Mm -hmm. and those perspectives don't necessarily always have your best interest at at heart yes um and so i think that what that does is that actually results in this sort of um perspectival sprawl where suddenly we we're hearing all sides of a single (laughs) given issue right and we don't know how to make you know, how to make sense of everything, especially because this is unfolding at a time when we're at like peak cynicism, Mm -hmm. when we have more distrust of, you know, sort of mainstream media institutions than ever before. Mm -hmm. And what this really does is this just opens us up to so much bad information, malevolent information even. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, and it's, you know, and even aside from that, aside from sort of like all the crazy, you know, news stuff and fake news and all that crap that we're inundated with, there's just sort of like your, your moment to moment experience mm-hmm. of using something like Facebook yeah. where, you know, Facebook to me has been a very double-edged sword for me. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe even triple-edged um, mm-hmm. if, if, if you can visualize such a sword. I can do that. It'd be a pretty cool <laughs> sword actually. You know, I mean, on the one hand, as a writer, you know, yeah. I love having sort of um, a platform to interact with people through writing. Yeah, I I love I get so much again just nourishment out of that. I I get so many um, you know, so much of of my online interactions end up sort of seeping into the things I do at Integral Life and the copy I write and the conversations mm-hmm. I have and all that. So, in a way, it you know it keeps me it sort of keeps my creative gears going, which is which is really great. Um, and and at the same time, um, you know, there's a lot of studies coming about this. You hop onto Facebook, and you start scanning through your feed. Mm-hmm. What you're exposed to is like the very best moments that everyone else is having. Mm-hmm. And you're just comparing it to sort of like the yeah. ongoing minutia of your own life. Yes. And it doesn't always really, you know, compare very well. You end up yeah. with this impression that like, oh man, everyone else is living their best life. And here I am at, you know, one in the morning and I'm just looking at Facebook and Reddit. What the hell is wrong with my life? And, you know, it creates this sort of, the sort of angst, I think. Yes. Because, you know, people, yeah. people don't use these platforms for vulnerability. Use it to, you know, look what I did. Look how proud yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And uh, gosh, these, a lot of things you said brought um, some thoughts for me. Um, but one of them is uh, there's no such thing as hashtag no filter. Let's just start with that. The people think that, but that's not true. But there's, that doesn't mean that there's some, not a referent for that of like understanding what somebody's trying to mean when they say hashtag no filter on a photo. But we got to be, um, you have to look a little more closely and this will relate to what you said. So when you take a photo, the filter that's automatically there is one, your, your camera on your phone because the camera sets the ratio and of what it can take in in terms of just the vista. Um, then it has a coloration of what, how it processes light, you know, um, also where you point the camera is a filter, um, how you frame it. I mean, just some minimal things automatically has 
uh, created a filter for that photo, which you then share to people. Mm. Now you may not edit it. You may not do anything else, but it's not a naked representation of the immediate experience that you're having. So for example, when I do uh, my photography, I actually do want to edit because I'm trying to recreate the experience. And sometimes the camera does not capture the immediacy as better as best as I can do with editing. Now it's kind of a side point, but like when we think about just beyond a photo, right? Of how many different filters are being processed and, and yeah. used with for information, especially through something like Facebook, which is, you know, like when we talk about a photo, we can say, what was the intention of the photographer in taking that photo? What was their experience like? We can not, we can look at more than just what is the photo and what is it showing us, but what was their intention in taking it? What were they, how are they looking at it? Um, but you take something like Facebook, Ooh, you know, with like what they're doing with data. Why do they want the data? How do they use the data? How are they presenting other data and information to us? Like I know from when I got on Facebook to now, I don't think hardly anybody sees anything I post, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I don't see most of what anybody else posts. That's changed radically because of the advertising model. You know, I think they're, they're trying to pump sponsored content. So there's filters on filters upon filters. And, and so if we are just glued into all of the, the stuff that we're seeing and we don't take a step back, that's a hot mess yeah. for sure. Not to mention that if you contextualize all of the information for what's going on in the world, it's, it's insane. And, and I think we're all, to our credit, I think we're collectively processing that for better or worse. And we're, without... Uh, it would have been better if we had consciously chosen that, but it's, we're getting the medicine. I think, I think the medicine's being deployed, <laughs> you know, upon us uh, because of, you know, we see, especially with political elections and things like that. It's really, regardless of where you land, I think everybody is inflamed around uh, what's happening in, in politics and especially how that's being communicated through online. That's just one example. But again, to reinforce like the, the positive where this came from, I was one of the first people on Integral Naked back in the day because I lived in the Midwest and um, nobody around me was doing anything like Buddhism or Integral or nothing. So when I finally got online, like 2003, Integral Naked, I don't know if that was the same year that it popped up, um, but that was on there. I met a few other bloggers and it was like a real open space, you know, it's like yeah. Vince Horn, like a good friend. He was on there and we met each other and Romel de Leon, who used to be known as Cool Mel, we're never going to live it down. He was on there. So we, you know, it was like only, it was like a handful of people, maybe 10 people who I knew on blogs. And it was a really intimate conversation because it was just these, these people. It wasn't this huge world. And it created a sense of community that was really awesome. That was so missing. And if you think about that across so many different identities and subcultures that now people can really connect, that's amazing. It's better than, I would rather have the mess we're in than, and, and, than to never have had that. So I think that's beneficial. Like we, I want us to keep all of this ability to connect with people who share similar perspectives and values and, mm -hmm. you know, lifestyles. That's really advantageous. Same time, you know, we experience things like echo chambers where people just now just like, I think Bill Burr had, has a little bit where he says like, everybody just goes to I'm right.com. And, and then it's like, yep, there it is. Um, and it's like, that's everybody people. If you, if you're listening to this and you don't think it's you, it's you too. It's us. We all do it. We're like, yeah, I want to fucking find something that 
resonates with me. Yep. You know, that it's just so easy. Part of it's not just malevolent, you know, like we're just assholes. It's just, but part of it's just, uh, it's so easy with the click of a button, you can find people who think like you. So the challenge to me now, again, is that stepping back, you know, it's, it's like we can just enter in these data information vortexes and then Again, we're still, I think there's a layer that we can step back of just like, what is our experience being online, let alone dealing with more specific issues like politics and things like that. But it's helpful to know, you know, why we might want to take a step back, like yeah. what's going on, you know, yeah. that, and what's at stake, you know, our, right. our individual well-being, our collective well-being, there's a lot. And that we, this is a challenge we should take on. That's my argument. Right. It's like, we shouldn't just abandon it and say, well, that's, I'm done with that, you know, and we shouldn't also just uh, be lazy and blame the the tech companies, which they should be held responsible. And you know what I mean? Like I'm not cutting freaking uh, Zuckerberg any slack, but it's like, I didn't question shit when I got on there in 2007. I was like, we, this is fun. Like everybody did. Everybody did that. There's only so much you can complain. I mean, it's a free product, which means you are the product. And I think that everyone, especially with, you know, with an integral sensibility that's using something like Facebook probably knows that. Yeah. And right. So there's only so much we can put. And I, and I think that, you know, Ryan, you, you, you highlighted a few things and I'm, I'm really glad that you uh, sort of put this into the arena of politics because yeah. this next year, people, you thought 2016 was nuts. Yeah. Just yeah, wait. That's, Just wait. Just, this, this yeah. next election season is going to be brutal. It's yeah. going to be absolutely brutal. And as you say, Ryan, I think we are beginning to sort of develop the immune system. Um, mm, that's a good way to put it. It's taking some time though, right? Yeah, and, you right. know, we actually, um, so one of the big integral Facebook groups is Integral Global. And we actually just had sort of an encounter there. Um, it's ongoing. We're still having it where we have one member who came in and dropped a bunch of, well, I'll just call them conspiracy theories. Mm. Um, it was, you know, uh, sort of a, a bunch of posts that a lot of people in, are enacting as being anti-Semitic and racist, mm. right? And so the big question is like, oh, can, you, can we just ban this guy? Mm. And, you know, it's funny because I'm a little bit hesitant to, to ban someone from that community um, unless they're actually being directly abusive to other people. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and here's why, you know, I think at, yeah. at first, at first blush, people look at that and they say, you're being, you're being too green. You can't include everyone. And I say, no, I agree. You cannot include everybody. You cannot mm-hmm. include everything. However, mm-hmm. I think one thing to notice is that oftentimes it's green communities these days who are the quickest to use the ban hammer. Right? Oh yeah. That, that's why I was saying when you were saying that, I was like, well, that's <laughs> It's sort of the shadow side of it. Yeah, like, like if you don't conform to my green sensibilities around sexism or racism or what have you, then guess what, buddy? You're gone. And here's the thing. I actually support that for certain communities, right? I yeah. actually think sort of like the more narrow and specialized the community, the more sort of uh, rigid your rule set can be. But for something like Integral Global, which is you know supposed to be sort of like this top of the funnel kind of, kind of community experience, I go about things a little bit differently. And here's why, because I think it's all part of developing that immune system. So I think in a lot of ways, the integral sort of dilemma right now is that the integral project is largely facilitated through the internet. This is sort of the platform that we use to connect with each other and exchange ideas and all that. And the specific platform that we're using is something like Facebook, which is itself flatland. It's a flattening of perspectives. 
There's no, you know, there's no way to sort of tell qual quality over quantity, which is how misinformation gets spread so quickly and all that. So yeah. I think in a lot of ways, we're still relying on the rules from the television age mm. and trying to apply them to our activities in the information age, and it's not working. Mm. So I used to believe that there are some ideas that are so bad right? They do not deserve sort of the dignity of a debate platform. You're right. Right? No, fucking flat earthers, you guys are idiots. I'm not going to legitimize yeah, yeah. your yeah. point of view by yeah. giving you a debate platform. However, I think that era is over. I actually think that that worked in the television age because there was nowhere else to go. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So that yeah. would sort of like shame these bad ideas out of culture in a certain right. You know, right. really kind of healthy way. Right. And these days, that doesn't work anymore. All you're yes. doing is is adding to the fragmentation. So I say, you know, rather than us banning yeah. individuals whenever they come up with a view or a comment or a post that is either uncomfortable or is just downright malicious, rather than just saying, hey, that's racist and pushing it back into the shadow where it's going to fester, right? Mm -hmm. And it's going to become more disruptive over time. I say, guys, what if we actually start engaging these perspectives head on mm. like like would pizzagate have gotten so you know massive and so disruptive and mm. cause as much chaos if there were more you know responsible journalists who are instead of just like pretending it doesn't exist or just kind mm. of joking about how silly it is actually saying no let's go through point by point and start debunking this stuff yeah so well, one thought, yeah, I'm, I'm, thanks for bringing all this up. Um, and I want to, for the listeners, I'm going to, at some point here, provide a couple of simple practices to, to, that people can use, um, regardless of anything, just like simple foundational inhabiting practices related to being online. But I, I think all of this is so related. And again, part of this taking a step back is to ask some questions. Mm. And you're right. Yeah, I've, I've often made the example, like, even I was go back even before television, I think in a certain way of like, if somebody was around the neighborhood and they were saying some just crazy shit that, that like was totally against science, that's really established. You just say, Oh, Bob, crazy Bob down the, the road. We don't listen to him. You know, we just ignore him whatever. Like you're right. So like somehow, and especially with TV, there wasn't that much airtime. So if like a flat earther was on there, they just sort of know, you know, mm -hmm. you're getting ignored. But today that's, it's, it's impossible. I've got voices are going to show up everywhere online. So we know that. And what's interesting in some ways is, that, you know, if a tweet, for example, sort of like initially every tweet is worth the same amount, you know, of data and later it becomes potentially more data, but it's just sort of like instantly got something to say poof, it's online. But one of the choices for me, so you have a, a, an option to engage, you have an option to spend energy um, like with a band. Like, and that's kind of a quick thing in a certain way, like, oh, this person's banned. But then there's also, I think, a neutral option because we all are limited in our energy. That's one thing that I would say is like when you step, step back, you have to say, how much energy do I actually have? Let's be real honest about that. I, only, I mean, we only have so many waking hours. We only have so much mental, emotional, spiritual energy to put in the world. And when it comes from that perspective, for this particular question. But, but I do have a lot of methamphetamine. <laughs> yeah, well, then you can add that to the equation. <laughs> you know, that changes how much you can engage and how you engage. <laughs> uh, but um, so 
yes, you can say, well, what should we do about this perspective? But then the other additional question is what can I do? What's reasonable to do for right now for me in my life? And um, I think honestly, people who have kids probably can relate to this even more because when you have a, a child in your life, things, priorities shift, you know what I mean? And so just like, they're bit. just a little bit. Yeah. Like where decisions become clear, it's like, well, no, I'm going to make sure to give my energy to my, my kid. But like my kid gets so much of my energy period, you know, but it can be harder. It's still hard for everybody, I think regardless. But so the question is, is like, yeah, do, do I want to spend time with this or do I want to spend my energy elsewhere? regardless of whether this person is saying a comment or not. So for example, somebody could put a comment in that Facebook group and you could just not reply to it. You just, who cares? Like regard, not ban and not engage. That's a choice also. Now I'm not saying that should be the choice just to, to expand this conversation of how, what is my experience and how am I going to respond, which is a question of inhabiting digital life. And I think that's a big shift I've seen for myself and for other people who are, have uh, deal with a lot of community online, like you do Corey and uh, Vince with, uh, you know, with Buddhist geeks. Um, especially if you're community leader, I mean, you have to take on these questions, right? You have to figure out cause you're cultivating community. You're not just an individual participating and saying like, well, maybe I'll do something. Maybe I won't, whatever you have to do that. But there are trolls. I mean, the trolls are real, like trolls are everywhere. And so, in a certain way, I consider Donald Trump a troll personally, you know what I mean? Like where there's, and it's a bizarre thing. I think, you know, that's another way in which regardless of like, I wish I could, we could undo that somehow, but he's a medicine in that kind of way where it's like, I, I, for me personally, really early on within the first few months, I was like, this guy's a troll. And like, every time he says something crazy and everybody gets worked up about it, um, sometimes that's all, that's all, that's the whole game. Yeah. Like Trump says something, we get worked up. And he just keeps on winning his game. That doesn't mean we shouldn't respond and take action against a lot of the things he's done and said, but just that like, there's an energy about him and about some trolls where they're just like, I saw on, uh, you, you shared on integral life. There was, uh, you shared our last episode and, and, and somebody like wrote like 10 comments on there. I, I don't know if they're like, if they're a, like a real, real person or a spammy person. But I looked at that. And I'm like, should I respond to this or not? I'm like, I don't know who this person is. I don't know what they're saying. I just not going to like, I'm not going to give that energy. Like right. no way we got more important things to do, but there's a question. Yeah. Like if there's an engaged community member who somehow that's so for me, I go to like, what are my values and what are our values? What do we share around and what are we trying? What are we trying to do strategically? And then that shapes that. So then it could be a question of like, yeah, then should this person be involved or not, you know, based off of some criteria, um, what is the criteria to base off of whether this person should be engaged or engaged, banned or ignored? Um, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know in your particular case, but these are things I, I, I wonder about, like where I slow down and say, yeah. rather than the automatic reaction, because I think that's the thing, it's the inflammation, the reactivity. And as you, I like that you use the immune response is like, are we shifting into building an, um, an immune system or are we still being inflamed? And regardless of how we respond, whether, whether we think this is the right response or this is a bad response, does both of these feel just reactive and unnecessarily draining? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And you can't know that unless you take a moment to step back and feel into your body, to, to inhabit yourself, to attune 
to interpersonal dynamics, to ask these questions about strategy, which can be applied to, every, to a lot of different areas of life, not just something really intense like uh, politics or um, identity or anything like that. I mean, it can just apply to much simpler engagements. Yep. You know, people, people get in arguments and about everything and heated debates about everything online. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And, you know, I think you, you just made two really important discernments, Ryan. One is, is the distinction between responding yep. um, versus reacting. Hmm. And the internet is making reactionaries of us all, right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's one of the things it does. Yeah. Um, whereas coming up, formulating a more authentic and skillful response, well, you know, that takes a little bit more yeah. uh, maturity. It takes a little bit more, um, you know, perspectival sort of sophistication, I think, in a certain kind of way. Mm -hmm. um, the other distinction, you know, you use the magic word, which is values. Mm. Um, I've got this sort of shorthand that I often use, which is um, negate the view, include the values. Mm. We get lost in our digital communities in sort of the fault lines between opposing views, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. After a while, I start to think this is kind of silly. I think it's a little bit silly that we are allowing our views to, to make us as polarized culturally, socially as we currently are. Because at the end of the day, what is your political view? Your political view is really nothing more than someone asking you the question, hey, if you were president for the day, if you're a king of the world for a day, what would you do? Yeah, well, let and me, we argue over how we answer that question differently, yeah. even though it makes like no impact on our day-to-day -day lives, how we raise our kids, what makes us happy, what <laughs> well, we want, you know what I mean? Yeah, it makes no impact on, it doesn't communicate anything about who we are as human beings. But yeah, the values, if you can cut through those views and find the values that connect you with other people, with yeah, people uh, you disagree with, yes. something beautiful can happen. Yes, yes, yes. And so I actually throw in another word, and this is, this is how I've been assessing so much of the um, tension uh, in conversation, whether online or not, but differentiating between values, goals, mm. and strategy. Because the thing is, is like on values. So for example, if you're, if it's uh, integral community tends to be pretty progressive in general, if we, to use that word simply, and not necessarily that everybody falls under that category, but it definitely is, not. Yeah, a lot, you know, where do they? Well, they're not, I, I, definitely not everyone's progressive. I mean, we have little sub-communities of sub people who are, you know, sort of um, anti-left, for example. Yeah, but anti-left in what way? Like anti-left um, coming from integral or anti-left like? That's sort of the question. Right? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm just going to still assume put a majority, whether it's like, you know, green or higher, you know, mm -hmm. kind of thing. But maybe if, if it's if it's fifty fifty or or worse than that, then that'd be very interesting. <laughs> I'd be very surprised. But in any case, among, even amongst progressives, there could be so much intense debate and reactions. But you could say, well, like, what values do we share? And like, just be real basic of like, do, what do we value? And we will find out we actually value a lot of the same things. Okay. Um, even and even further, goals. Now, goals we might not share all the same goals, but we might definitely find that. Uh, uh, like take climate change. We might say, oh, we all agree or mostly agree that we want to adjust um, certain measurements around climate change. Now, I know not everybody agrees with that <laughs> for sure. Well, but you can find a deeper value. We all agree that um, we shouldn't completely destroy the environment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
But then strategy, mm, this is where people go bananas and they fuse values and goals. And so if you criticize somebody's strategy, that it's interpreted as criticizing the value. Oh, you don't even share the same value because for example, what you might do about that person you talked about with the, the conspiracy theories, people might share the same values and say, I think they should be banned share the same values. I think they should be engaged. Mm-hmm. It's very possible, but you can't get to that if you get lost in the reactivity. And uh, so for me, so much is like just around strategy a lot of times, but sometimes obviously you can have differences in values, which can also be tied to differences in development, which, you know, Ken is great about talking about the growing up developmental stages where you might literally be on different pages. So, you know, um, I like that a lot, though. Uh, values, strategies, and goals. It actually mm. reminds me of something that um, I wanted to talk about a little bit today in terms mm. of skillful communication to help people just navigate the turbulence of our digital lives. I think mm. skillful and authentic communication is one of those. Really being able to tap into your inner source of wisdom and compassion. Now, of course, with wisdom, you know, part of wisdom is that you know, uh, wisdom often comes with this sort of inner strength that allows you to really stand by your convictions in a certain kind of way. But it also brings this curiosity. It brings this humility because, you know, the wisest people I know in my life are the ones who are very clear about the fact that they don't know everything, right? They're, they're, they have a sense of how much out there they don't know and that mm-hmm. they can't know. Right. Mm. So there's, there's a, there's a certain sort of uh, humility that comes with, I think, integral wisdom and then compassion. Obviously we, we need to get better at empathizing with people. I think we get so used to interacting with each other as if we're just, you know, a, a, a collection of words on a screen, mm-hmm. completely disembodied, completely abstract, totally divorced from, you know, the living beating yeah. heart behind it all yeah and that causes us to again to react instead of to respond yeah um you know so i often you know i i have little pointing out exercises that i do with myself whenever i'm about to do sort of an in-depth response that could you know sort of um go either way and Mm. one of those is to simply just like pretend the person is in the room with me right now sitting right across from me is there anything that i just wrote before i press the send button is there anything i wrote down that I wouldn't say to you if I was looking you in the eye. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Dan, when I look out there and I look at how most people communicate, I'm like, you would never, you would never be this much of an asshole if the other person was in the room with you. You just uh, wouldn't. Yes. Right. Exactly. So that's 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 a huge part of it is sort of bringing on that 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 it's not just bringing on your own embodiment. It's actually using your embodiment to sort of embody the other person that you're communicating with. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so. With that, I mean, that's why you got to take the step back first and, and, and make sure you're doing it with yourself because if you don't have that, you'll, it's going to be harder to take that additional step. That's right. That you're talking about. But um, yeah, that's huge, this point of... of well, can I, can I, let, me, let me wrap this yeah. up first because sure, I, sure. I want to get back to your, your views, strategy, and goals thing. So uh-huh. um, another sort of uh, framework that I, that I use that helps me just personally with this stuff is... Um, you know, Ken has talked about sort of the three main underlying principles of integral thinking. Mm -hmm. And those principles are called non-exclusion, which is another way of saying everyone is right. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's enfoldment, which is another way of saying some are more right than others, true Mm -hmm. but partial. And then uh, enactment. If you want to know this, 
do that. Mm-hmm. I think this actually lends itself to sort of um, integral discourse um, really, really nicely. So for me, non-exclusion, I always begin with non-exclusion. Non-exclusion begins with a curiosity. It begins with, um, with a willingness to connect, with a willingness to meet. So I, I often try to begin my interactions with people by saying, you know, where do we agree? What is it in that fucking crazy ass rant that you just posted on my Facebook wall that I'm in danger of reacting to, right? Mm-hmm. Of giving like a very sort of inauthentic surf- surface level, emotional, you know, what have you. Rather yeah. than reacting, I try to scan through it and, you know, sort of read between the lines. Where can I agree? Yeah. And that I think is, is what yeah. you're driving towards with, with values. Yeah. That's sort of the easy part. The, the, the more difficult part is the next one, enfoldment. Where do we disagree? And not just where do we disagree and kind of leaving it at that, but it's like, how do our views and values fold into each other, right? So, so you have your perspective. I have my perspective. We can both say, hey, these are both partially true. These are partial truths. The real art, I think, comes with figuring out how these partial truths fit together. And they don't always fit together on sort of the same level. Sometimes there is, you know, well, this is, this is a little bit of a, you know, better truth yep. <laughs> than, than your shitty ass truth. But, yeah. you know, we can, we can still find a way to sort of yeah. put pieces back together. Mm-hmm. And then, enactment, so that to me feels a lot like um, strategy in a certain mm-hmm. kind of way. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. enactment says, okay, what are we trying to do here together? What, what is our, really, what is our goal? What are we trying to create? What is, what, what structure are we sort of co-creating together um, and why? why? Why are we doing this? So for mm-hmm. me, this means you know, um, leading with evidence-based conversations, for example. Like I was saying earlier, don't just, you know, if someone comes up with uncomfortable perspectives, don't just label it as racist and sexist and shove it into the shadow or whatever. Actually do sort of the diligence of saying, okay, let's have a fact-based conversation here. Now that can get a little dicey too, because people have different sort of parameters over what's a fact and what isn't. And that's just another sort of victim, I think, of, of this aperspectival madness that we're all kind of struggling with. But still, if both people can share an intent to be like, okay, we, we need to be able to falsify each other's views and our own views, most importantly, our own views, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think having that piece where literally when I'm interacting, like if you say something to me and I'm trying to respond and give like a, a, a fully authentic, um, you know, intelligent response, I'm literally doing research as I'm writing because I want to make sure that I actually know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? I'm double checking every little fact that I'm bringing in as I write it because I want to know. I, this, is, this is on solid ground. This isn't just an emotional reaction. And I think that when both people are capable of doing that, you're able to, to create this much more mm-hmm. vibrant and welcoming sort of architecture of, of, of connection and communication with each other. Yeah. And I think that's huge. So non-exclusion, mm-hmm. uh, enfoldment, enactment, I think are three, you know, lend themselves to communication yeah. skills. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you bringing those in. And, uh, you know, few things come up. One, I want to just double down on the humanity part, because if they're, if the, the, uh, of tuning into each other as, as embodied living human beings, rather than just these disembodied perspectives online, that's so huge. And that, and that's why some people I think have reduced their interactions online and chosen to do something even more like what we're doing right now, where we can actually see each other and talk. Yeah. Now, 
Um, a few other things. I think it's unavoidable to, <laughs> to we need to talk about the growing up bit because all the things you listed out there to me are tied to certain developmental capacities, just straight up. They are. And uh, so if a person is not able to, to do that, for example, you have to be able to, um, you know, that green shift of relativizing truth, but not seeing its own absolute position on the matter. Sorry, you know, like there's a difference between somebody who can, can even drop that, you know, and, and see that without then, you know, going, being destroyed into the oblivion of, of nothingness, <laughs> you know, so there's still things matter. So if a person can't do that, it doesn't mean like, oh, well, be arrogant and like, fuck it, whatever. I'm not going to engage that person. But just to say that's, you know, development is a thing. And then there's also skill set, um, which can go with, with uh, some skills can go with any developmental capacity or several developmental levels, but of like how skillful somebody is in facilitating conversations and engaging conversations. So if you have somebody go through like a program I went through in my counseling uh, psychology degree, my master's, um, you know, I know looking back at that, there were people at different developmental levels in there, but yet they all practiced listening. Like we had a whole class where he did was just nothing but literally listen, which seems so elementary, but it was so hilarious to see how hard it was to just be like, you're going to practice shutting the fuck up for like an hour and see if you can track what people say, you know, and find out that you don't do that most of your time. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I, I've, I've been tuning out everything. Yes, ex exactly. Right, man. You're being exemplary. So <laughs> yeah, totally. So like, that's also something there to like, what is a person's skill set? Like, how do I look, if I have a perception of somebody, do I see that they have a skill set um, to engage in this conversation? Is there any, with, again, not to put people into boxes, but actually from a compassionate perspective of wanting to engage, where do I sense this person is at with their views? Do I know them really well? And if I've seen patterns over time, okay, what does that mean? And how I might want to engage with them. Yep. Can I, can, I, can I real briefly footnote yeah. that point? Because yeah. I do, I think it's important for you to be able to have your own sort of inner model yeah. uh, in terms of who you're talking to, where you think they might be coming from, et cetera. Yep. Uh, the opportunities and the challenges that are involved and all that and so forth. Yep. However, <laughs> one thing that a skillful communicator should never do is tell the other person. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, never, never make an object out of someone else's subject. And this was a big problem that we had in the integral community for years where there oh, was this yeah. That's why I was, yes. You know, that's why I was being, that's why I was being cautious about the saying like from a compassionate perspective. Yep. And also people, I, I got an interview, Kim, uh, last week for Buddhist Geeks and talked to him for a couple hours. Really, he talked for two hours because yeah. he came over. And, uh, but um, all of him, his uh, book, The Religion of Tomorrow, which was, I think, like his last, is the biggest, most recent book he's written. I don't know. It was a pretty thick one. Yep. But he has a whole chapter on, or multiple chapters on dysfunctions of uh, some of these uh uh, developmental levels, including the integral level. And he, it was a really good chapter. Like it was the most detailed writing I've seen from him on cracking down on uh, integral folks going as fo so far as to note some of the dysfunctions are like epidemic level. Yeah. So I felt personally attacked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some of it, yeah, I can relate to some, I'm like, yeah, I can feel that. Um, so yeah, this is like, when I say assessing somebody, it's to one that you could be totally fucking wrong. So keep that in mind, you know, 
but it's also compassionate to, for yourself and them to just sense, you know, but the other thing is radically, like, again, with somebody who I feel can, um, the word I was going to break up is reciprocity. So like for some folks, I feel like I can say out loud, I'm like, listen, here are thoughts that are coming up about you, Corey, but I want to own that. Actually, this, I'm really questioning him, but here's my experience. And if I trust that you can handle that, then it's, we're not doing the thing of being like, Corey, you're this way and turning your subject into an object, but actually inviting it out for more intimacy. Mm. Um, but I've seen that be done too, sometimes where it's, it's, that's the idea but people actually aren't really able to handle that. And then they just use it as an excuse to tell you all the things that they're, they're thinking about you, but they're not actually, there's not enough space around it. But anyway, so this is why it's a little bit of an always relational dance, you know? Right. But the, well, the, danger, the danger too, Ryan, of, of when we write each other off because of yeah. how we assess each other. Is yeah, that's that no good. We lose a wisdom in that because yeah, no now, when I say, you know, look, that's just, you know, that, that such an amber view. I'm just going to completely disregard that because that's such an amber view. Yeah. You know what, motherfucker? You have amber inside of you right yeah. now. And there yeah. is on the, on the level of values, there is absolutely a part of you that overlaps with the values of the person that you're talking to. And there's an opportunity, I think, to, to sort of take stop. There's a little bit of shadow work that we do. Yeah. We, well, and with the compassionate view... If we feel repulsed, then that means I I need to take a closer look. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, absolutely. If if you feel repulsed and for anybody who's really want to take a lot of initiative, if that's the case, you know, somebody's like really traditional sociocentric kind of person. Well, great. I can just know that, but I can, I can, if I can see that, then I have the ability to shift and say, well, I'm going to engage with them, but I'm going to engage with them knowing this. And, and that means partly embracing them of who they are, which that's the problem of the, of the propulsion is like, oh, people want to resist everything that they perceive as below them developmentally. But it's like, I go, I want to go the other way. It's like, well, how can I hang with this person? How can I have a conversation with them actually, yep. not just um, write them off, yep. but I'll be able to engage with them more skillfully and by appreciating where they're coming from, which is something that Ken said at the end of the last interview that I did with him of like a recommendation is to constantly, he said to constantly practice taking the other person's perspective, but I think he meant it in the sense of like, like a kind of just pure observation, like mm-hmm. how, how are you thinking about this? What does it look like to be you looking at the world? Um, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I think I asked him for a couple of practices. And it was just one of the main ones he, he really recommended, especially around um, growing up. But one thing I want to really say here is about the reciprocity is that that's where a choice can come in. And it's going to be a different choice depending on your role. So again, Corey, in your role in integral life, you are engaging much more than the average person would in that community, right? Because you're trying to uh, cultivate a community. And, well, and, and I represent a certain, you know, I, I, yes. I, I think I represent a brand and that, that helps yeah, 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 yeah. me tether to a higher self and, you know, and all that. Yeah. So, so there's a yes, totally. So the choices you make are, might be different. Um, for the average person, say just engaging from their personal Facebook profile with just somebody in their network, I think it's fair to ask a question of reciprocity in terms of your energy. Like, okay, so here's how the kind of conversation I want to have. Like what all the things you said earlier, uh, those three main points, uh, I could just, I often will choose now. I'm, I would say, does this person going to reci- uh, um, reciprocate or not? And if they're not, I'm not going to engage. And that's not a slight against them. It's not a tossing out. It's a choice. It's saying yes to something else. It's saying yes to putting my energy into other conversations where it's not necessarily saying yes to echo chambers. It's saying yes to people who want to engage in conversation the same way, not that we're going to have the same 
conclusions or strategies or not that we won't disagree, but it's just like, how are we having the conversation? How are we having the disagreement? So again, I think that the online world presents infinite options that say that all, all say now, right. say yes to this and say, and do it now. And that's just not tenable. It's not sustainable energetically and it fries us out. So there's no way around making choices of being balanced. And again, if you're facilitating a community as a leader, then you're gonna have to lean in a lot more because that's what you're choosing to do. But the average person, it's like, you can't engage with all that many people all at once in a healthy manner. So you're gonna have to choose more. And then another thing related to that, a question that um, I'm pulling from Vince, um, I think he used it as a question for himself one day. Um, What's mine to do? as a, as a koan, what's mine to do? Like really, and sit down, not like what's mine to do and like getting an attitude about like humbly, what's mine to do? Like, is this cause I'm taking up? Is this conversation? Is this mine to do? Am I the person to do it? Because I don't have to do everything right. We can do things together. So with the question of reciprocity and what's mine to do, an answer can come up. Mm. And especially if it includes I want to be engaged and I'm being embodied and inhabiting this life and responsive, then with these three things, something will emerge, you know, right. and something we can trust. But if we don't, I don't think if we do all three of these things, inhabit what's happening, look for reciprocity amongst our personal communities, our subcultures and ask what's mine to do, then it's going to be madness at some point, yeah. you know, it's going to, yeah. And we're just dealing in times where we have to take on more complexity and nuance. It's just no way around it. And that's why I said earlier about having to take this medicine. It's just sort of like, we're all fried. We're yeah. all overwhelmed to the point where we don't have a choice, but to ask the question. I don't, it would, it would have maybe been more idealistic 10 years ago online. Like it wouldn't have felt so relevant, but now it's just like, what else are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, what you're talking about reminded me of, um, there's a concept that Roger Walsh, often talks about, uh, which is uh, the idea of a Gnostic intermediary. Mm. And basically what that means, you know, a Gnostic intermediary, um, Roger describes as basically a person who's able to effectively translate and transmit wisdom from one culture or community to another, Mm -hmm. which sounds, you know, pretty basic and straightforward. And I think as integralists, that sounds very appealing. I think a lot of us lean into that, like, oh yeah, I want to, if I don't, if, if I don't already feel like that's who I am. That's certainly who I want to be. Um, and he actually writes out, I'm going to read these real quick because he gives us sort of three nice descriptions that I think um, uh, offers a nice kind of capstone on what you mm-hmm. and I have been talking about for the last 15, mm-hmm. 20 minutes or so. Uh, he says, um, basically, there's three corresponding capacities to being a Gnostic intermediary. First, one must imbibe and become the wisdom oneself. Because while one can have knowledge, one must be wise. I just want to read that again because it's nice. Because while one can have knowledge, one must be wise. This, of course, is no small task. In fact, when one talks about profound spiritual wisdom, it can easily take a lifetime. For me, it's taken like 70, 80 (laughs) lifetimes, something like that. I lost count. Uh, Number two, the second requirement of Gnostic intermediaries is linguistic and conceptual competence, which integralists have in spades. Uh, They must understand the language and conceptual system of the people and culture to whom they wish to communicate. That part, I think, is where we're still developing some new muscles, Hmm. right? Uh, And then number three, the third requirement is translational. They must be able to translate the wisdom from the wisdom-bearing culture 
into the language and conceptual system of the recipient culture in such it, in such as a way as to create an aha experience of understanding. Of course, this requires recognizing and speaking to the developmental level of the recipients, and better still, speaking in ways that can be appreciated at multiple levels. And Ryan, I think that gets right to the heart of what we were talking about, how we don't, it's, it's the value of having this sort of inner algorithm that's always ticking away in the back of our heads that is assigning cosmic addresses to every person, place, and thing that we come across. Hmm. There's something healthy about that when we sort of wield it in, in, in a responsible and compassionate way. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, that is, in a certain way, sort of one of, the, one of the really, really critical steps to becoming more um, of a Gnostic intermediary ourselves so that we can, you know, not only facilitate our own communication that much better, but, you know, to the extent that we care about this big, beautiful, integral thing, and we want to see it grow and spread and become, you know, more attractive and more accessible to people, well, mm -hmm. then we've got a bit of, 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 you know, sort of lifting to do, and we need some new muscles in order to do that lifting. Yeah. And, and part of that, I think, Ryan, is something that you and I are actually, you know, sort of half implicitly, half explicitly doing with this show. I think that in a lot of ways, yeah. what we're yes. doing here is we're, we're trying to um, communicate and express integral ideas, views, values, et cetera, in a, in a slightly different language, in a language yes. that is maybe a little bit more tuned into, I don't yeah. know, how Gen X and millennials are talking and thinking yes. and going about their Definitely. lives. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Totally. And again, you know, sort of like that question of what's mine to do is like for people to think about how they fit into this, you know, even these three things you shared here, like, where do I fit in with these um, three principles in my life and the work I do in the communities and relationships I'm a part of, you know, because I think one of the struggles with folks who have been really passionate about um, integral is uh, too much taking on too much. Like it's the, 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 either because it feels really great, like superhero like to do it, or because the, the burden of the world feels so big that it's like, oh, I got to be able to do it. And that's why I said earlier, we no individual needs to do it all on their own. That's impossible. <laughs> so we work together to find out where our strengths are, where um, our passions are. And we do that and rely on each other collectively to respond to the world. And then two, I would just throw out there, particularly because of what this show is, in inhabiting is take, leaping off from this kind of uh, map that uh, Roger Walsh has given us and say that, again, like any map, um, it's a real great starting off point um, and to make it a little bit more nuanced, but still using a simple example, like for people who watch football, uh, a football team, the offense is going to have a bunch of plays they can run. But there are a lot of variables that can be run and a quarterback is going to be reading everything. They're going to be, be reading in real time the defense, how the defense lines up and how the play plays out and in real time responding. And that's the thing I keep doubling down on because life is even more complicated than that. That as, even though we might have these like ideas that feel real crisp and real clear that help point us in directions, we still, I think, are, develop, are trying to have more capacities than anything else, which can um, be developed both vertically, you know, we unlock different capacities, you know, at different developmental levels, um, but also strengthen them, you know, through life experience. So, you know, um, that, that to avoid the idea that we are pursuing a predestined, de you know, uh, 
location and time that the tracks are being laid as we go down. It's like, I know I'm on the right path because I've got this great map, you know, um, versus like I'm uh, being res uh, responsive to the world about knowing how to go about that um, and making the most of maps, but also of inhabiting. So if you don't inhabit your life, you're not going to be able to apply these tools and, and maps. Yep. So, that's yes. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. And I, I very much enjoyed your sports ball metaphor. Yeah. Throw out these, <laughs> we'll throw out random things. Sorry for anybody who doesn't know anything about football. I'm, I'm sorry. You have to Wikipedia it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, so real quick, uh, two things. Uh, in a minute, I was just going to share. I'm not going to do a practice, just kind of suggest a couple things. Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple of inquiries that I wanted to share too. Okay, cool. But uh, I'm just curious. I don't know if anybody is, if we got people live or not, or anybody submitted questions or anything, but I wanted to double check. I, I see a bunch of people watching us live, but I don't see anyone in the Zoom app. So as okay. we're wrapping up the show, I just want to remind people again, if you have a question or a comment okay. uh, and you want to share it live, then on integrallife.com slash live, underneath the video player is a link to Zoom. Uh, if you click that, you'll come into the platform. It's totally free. You just have to download this free app and then you're in. Uh, and then you can, you can communicate with us that way. Uh, and if not, that's totally okay too. We'll just, uh, you know, close with some sort of practice suggestions. And uh, You know, what's funny is that some people, um, uh, I see a few, just a few comments in the YouTube live thing. So it oh. seems like people are able to make a chat there. Um, Anything worth responding to? Uh, let me just read it real quick. But this gives a moment for if anybody's hearing this now and they're making their way to Zoom, they can do that. So yeah, do you want to share? You said you had a couple inquiries. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. So um, again, these are, I think, just a couple of simple questions that um, you can ask yourself, you know, really at any time, but uh, particularly if you are in the midst of a heated online discussion and you want to make sure that you're being your wisest, deepest, most authentic, most integral self. Um, here's a couple questions that I like to ask, um, and I'll read these a little bit slowly so they can kind of sink in for a second. Um, first, why do I see the world the way that I do? Hmm. So what, is, what is sort of underpinning my assumptions and my views and my values? Um, see if you can get a little bit of clarity on that. What perspectival injunctions am I employing to disclose the data that I'm trying to communicate or the validity of my claim? So what, how did I arrive at the conclusions that I've arrived at? Mm -hmm. What types of data am I taking seriously? What types of data am I taking less seriously? Uh, what kind of data do we think that we're missing that we should sort of pull in in a more sort of uh, explicit way? Yeah. Um, how can I construct my argument in such a way that also discloses this data for you and enacts real meaning and mutual understanding for the both of us, which kind of gets to your strategy mm -hmm. discussion, Ryan. Mm -hmm. How can I present my perspective in such a way that you can see the world through my eyes? And am I simultaneously trying to see the world through your eyes? And maybe more importantly, am I doing anything to let you know that I'm trying to see the world through your eyes? <laughs> Again, they're fairly simple, um, but, I, but nice. I find that if you can just pause mm -hmm. for, for just a moment and ask yourself even just one or two of these, it, it creates a clearing. It does for me anyway. It creates a clearing. Yeah. I mean, just to stop and ask questions about yourself and about your engagement, I think automatically start shifting things because it uh, redirects your attention from 
especially from reacting outwardly to things to like pausing and, and wondering to enter into curiosity about what it is you're doing and saying. Yeah. So, and I, uh, I think once you, once you ask those personal questions, then you can ask sort of more, you know, I guess more second person questions, which is sure. like, you know, where, where do we agree? Where do we disagree? How does your perspective fit into mine or mine into yours? Yeah. Um, do both of our perspectives have equal weight or is one sort of, you know, more meaty than the other? Yeah. Um, or do these perspectives simultaneously coexist, but refer to different dimensions, for example? Um, and what are the means by which we can identify the relative partiality of our perspectives in a friendly, non-antagonistic way? Because mm -hmm. um, again, I think that once these sort of become our guardrails for our conversations, th that conversation tends to go much deeper, uh, becomes much more productive, and just becomes more fulfilling for, for both, both the people who are engaged in the conversation and everyone else reading. That's the important thing. I mean, you know, when we do debates and such online, yeah. you're never having a debate because you have any hope of changing the other person's point of view. That never happens, especially on the yeah. internet. Well, you're doing it for everyone else who's reading. So yeah. always come from your best, highest, wisest self. Yeah, that's wonderful, Corey. Thank you. And, you know, a couple of things to just add on to those. Um, Again, slowing things down, especially to even more basic elements. Sometimes it seems really simple, but uh, it could be really powerful if you slow it down enough. And to go back to values, I'm going to pull from an exercise that my partner Alyssa shared with me, who's a psychologist, um, a value uh, exercise where uh, essentially you can kind of write down a bunch of different values in your life and you can even do it with cards and create decks out of it. And you kind of start sorting through them. I'm not going to get this right. I'll have to, should probably correct, correct me on somewhere. <laughs> but uh, basically you're trying to sort through what are your most important values. And then you can look at those values and, and, and look at your life or conversations and saying, how's this value being embodied or expressed right now? What do, how does this look? So, because sometimes we might have a value, but then we start getting into especially online engagements and where does that value go? Poof. So if we can take a moment and to slow down and inhabit that value and then look at the conversation, what, what happens, what comes up. The other thing is like pointing to Robert Keegan's work um, in his book, Immunity to Change, which is in the business context, but inside of it, he has a, a practice to try to um, uh, reveal hidden assumptions about life. So it's kind of a way to catalyze one, uh, one's own development by turning uh, things that are subject to us into objects. Now, I don't remember fully his specific structure of that, but one kind of thing in some of the questions you asked, what I would say is you to oversimplify it is to ask why. So you, you make a statement and you say, why? But, mm -hmm. to, but it's important to do it not antagonistically toward yourself, but with curiosity and creativity. Why? Well, why is that? You know? And it's going to seem like, duh, well, because I already know that, but to try to keep answering it and to keep going until either you can't feel like you can come up with an answer anymore, or especially if you start feeling uncomfortable asking it, like, why am I going to ask that? I'm going to ask that. Like, oh, try to spend more time with it, see what comes up. Or it might be, it might not be necessarily be a negative feeling, but I think at some time when you start getting closer to the core of where something is subject, some things are going to start buzzing and shifting. Now, I think a person might be able to do that um, more strongly if they have additional practices, like some meditative practices could help 
hold space for what's arising so that you know awareness or attention doesn't collapse when you get closer to that yeah so there could be some things yeah so anyways i have a few thoughts um right here yeah so then for for the practice i was going to suggest for people who have been listening especially to all the episodes you can go back and uh find uh, a link to meditation for simple inhabiting of the body so you can do that practice of inhabiting the body where you are where you are trying as best you can to relax into the internal space of your body with presence. So you're present as and in the internal space of your body. Then you can start um, to move towards, like you could actually do it physically. Like I could get up away from the computer, you know, turn it all off or just shut my eyes and inhabit my body. And then when I feel fairly present as much as I can, to open my eyes back up and approach the computer and but still try to maintain the presence mm. of this inhabiting and see what shifts, see where energy goes in the body. Does it, does all of a sudden you it goes up and you only feel present in your head? Does it drop out? You know, what happens to just be curious about what shifts when you go towards the computer and even more, you, if you feel like you're really present in your computer and you go to a Facebook conversation, what starts happening in the body, pay attention. So that's the slowing it down. And from there, you can do a lot of different work. So I can't give an exact pathway of like, well, this is what's going to happen. But just to say that you're going to notice some things that you can get curious about and work with more. The other thing you can do another level beyond this simple inhabiting of the body is, is attuning to qualities in the body. So for example, attuning to the uh, kind of foundational quality of knowing in the mind to experience the raw quality of knowing pervading uh, our heads. And we can actually then experience that pervading the whole body, experiencing um, love, uh, experiencing power, experiencing how we, um, our, our experience of gender for ourselves. What does that feel like, you know, in our pelvis? So there's all kinds of qualities like that that we can experience. Oh, and our, our communication, that's of course a big one. What does it feel like to inhabit uh, my throat and attune to the raw quality that we can express ourselves in the world through different mediums? And then again, approach, approach the computer, approach the conversation. What happens to that quality? If I approach with knowing, what does that feel like when I go and try to start typing with, by but still being attuned to the quality of knowing? What is it like if I attune to the quality of, of love or compassion? So you can go through these qualities. So these are two ways to sort of take meditative practice of inhabiting and start integrating it and then getting feedback from the experience of like what shifts now that I'm in life here, not just in the, you know, kind of safety of the, the temple of the body kind of thing. Um, but what happens? Because if every time we go to, a, you know, uh, a conversation online and we notice that we just go whoop, straight to our head and everything else shuts down and we're not attuned to, we can't feel any, it's hard to feel the love in our body or maybe we feel powerless, you know, or whatever, then that's going to play out over and over. Yep. So anyways, these are just a few simple things. That was fantastic. No, that was, that, was, that, was, that was awesome, Ryan. Thank you. And if I can just make a suggestion yeah. to people um, to compliment that, um, Twitter Tong Len. It's one of uh, my favorite oh. practices, Twitter Tong Len. Yes. All I do is I, I open up my feed and I see this list of faces, some of whom I know, others I don't. And I, 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 I just spend three breaths her face 
and I just go down and I try to breathe in their suffering and I breathe yeah. out their release. Um, it's, it's a beautiful uh, exercise in empathy and compassion. Yes. And I think just sort of helps you arrive at a more creative, more expansive, more responsive mindset. Yes. Um, where we can have these conversations, we can take in these views, we can even disagree with views that we disagree with. Yeah. Um, in a much more sort of even keeled and, yes. uh, and you know, um, kinder way. Yeah. Thanks, Corey, for bringing up Tong Lim because actually I wrote down something around meta practice. So that's mm. perfect because I would say that's, and I would say that this, this might be difficult. So it might, you might, need to do some of these other practices like we just talked about, like some of the question inquiry practices, um, some of the foundational body practices, but you can always do a meta practice. But the question is, is like, what level is that happening at? So um, we might very well just have to start with simple meta for ourselves. Maybe that capacity for ourselves isn't really strong. And so if, if it's not strong for ourselves, it might be very hard to do it for other people. Um, but if that's a great sort of a line of spiritual development to cultivate because if we do have some of that capacity, if we've developed it in meditation and formal practice, then you can apply that. Yes, by um, doing Tonglin or even simply, you go to the conversation, you see maybe the person on Facebook and you're not even responding, but you sit for a moment and hopefully, ideally you would have met them sometime in your life because I think if you never met a person and hopefully they have their actual picture there, you know, if they don't even have that, you do your best of imagining them. But uh, to say, may you be happy. And do you feel that, you know, do you feel that in your body or what comes up? That's the other things you could question it. Like if you say that and you can also include the body, maybe it comes up and you say it and you're like, I don't believe that. I, I'm saying the words, but I don't really believe that. Okay. Be curious about that. Yep. Work with that in practice. But if you've, once you've developed it enough, I think it can really actually shift. You, if you actually can at least in one moment experience something of that, like may you be happy, even if this is a person who I um, have a lot of problems with or they really put me off, that can really shift the dynamic. It doesn't necessarily tell you again what you're going to say or what the strategy should be. It just it changes how you're going to engage. Mm -hmm. You may still disagree with the person, but how you engage and how you experience the engagement will change. Right. Yeah. Wonderful. Brother. It was a pretty good conversation. I don't know what else we say. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's actually a ton to say. This is such a big conversation. I kind of wonder, I was like, man, this digital life stuff, because it hits on so many areas. It's so oh, sensitive. Yeah. We, we have like the election stuff. We have how data and privacy, we have, we have so many things. And then like some of the, even the, stuff you said in the beginning of being like what people's lives look like and how we compare ourselves. It's just so much yeah. that in there, but I, I hope this was somewhat helpful. I, I enjoyed talking about it. It was helpful for me. Yeah. Likewise. You know, and uh, so uh didn't seem like we had any questions pop on here, but yeah, uh, that's okay. Um, that's all right. Yeah. I think we'll, we'll, we'll start to get more as we get into a more regular monthly rhythm. So just so yeah, everyone yeah. knows we're going to be doing, uh, new shows, live shows of Inhabit, Ryan and I, uh, every second Tuesday at 1 p.m. Mountain, which is noon, California, and uh, I don't know, it's some other time, East Coast. 3 p.m. 3 p.m. East Coast. And who cares about the Midwest? Just kidding. I'm <laughs> yeah, in the Midwest. So, yeah. no, Central. Nobody ever mentions Central, man. Central is the Gen X of the time zones. No, yeah. 
Nobody I, I'm, a, I'm a Kansas City person, and you know what? Like, it's just like the Midwest is all flyover. Yeah. <laughs> Second generations, people only want to talk about the boomers and the millennials. But you know what? In the long run, I bet you Kansas City will be like the hipster mecca of, in like 50 years or something. It's yeah. going to be like where all the cool kids go after all the other cool cities are filled up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with water. Why? <laughs> yeah, probably. All right. Not. Well, Ryan, this is this has been a blast, man. Uh, yeah, man, it's been fun. Yeah. Again, I I I I just I love doing these shows with you, dude. Yeah. Likewise, man. And uh, any listeners, if you have a topic you'd like us to explore, definitely uh, let us know in the comments. We'll we have other topics that we like, but love to yep. hear from you. Totally. Yeah. Okay. All right, Ryan. Thank Toodaloo. you so much, man. Yeah, you do. All right. Until next time. Next. Yep, next thank- time. Until I'm gonna try that again. <laughs> until next time. Thank you very much. I'm Corey DeVos. I'm Ryan Olke. Cool. All right. Thanks.